pray. Lord God, we declare that you have done great things. Lord, we say that you are doing great things right now and that you will in the future to come, Lord God. Lord, as the song proclaims, we want to be your witness, a witness to all the things that you are doing, that you have made a way for us out of no way, Lord. Lord, you have done great, miraculous, wonderful things, and we say thank you, Lord God. We say you are a good, good God. So, Lord, we are so grateful this morning. Lord God, as we prepare to hear your word this morning, Lord, through Mary's song, Lord, may we hear with new ears this song, this prophecy of who Jesus will be, who Jesus is, and how you call us as your disciples to live differently in this world, Lord God. God, may we see with new eyes this morning how Mary accepted this amazing call, how she was so willing and humble to say, yes, Lord, I'm here. May it be. Lord, may we have that posture this morning. May we sit with arms open and say, yes, Lord, may it be. And may you, Lord God, be glorified. And in our obedience and our acceptance, Lord, may you make a way when there is no way. And may you be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, church, will you join me in thanking Joseph and our worship team this morning? As he shared, those are our, really our passage this morning from Luke 1. We'll be getting into Mary's song. And I don't know about you, at least in my household growing up, we listened to songs that were 16 minutes long. I mean, I grew up with, with, you know, Handel's Messiah. That was our soundtrack for Christmas. My father would play it over and over and over again. He still does. So. But thank you for that um, as we just sit in Mary's song and her words this morning. But before we get into our text this morning, again, I want to welcome you to Sanctuary Covenant Church. My name is Pastor Rose. I serve as one of the associate pastors here at Sanctuary. My voice might be just a little raspy. Um, I had maybe a little too much fun this weekend at a six-year-old birthday party. <laughs> my oldest turned six this weekend, which is, just blows my mind that I have a six-year-old now. So we were celebrating in all the wonderful six-year-old ways of birthday parties with friends from school and Disney on ice, and so it was fun. So welcome again to Church Sanctuary. Well, a few weeks ago, I was driving in my car, and as I was driving, I was listening to a podcast. And in this podcast, um, it was talking about race and racism in the United States, and it was this diverse panel of um, speakers, and people were sharing, and it was a very interesting perspective. But as one uh, white speaker was sharing, there was a phrase that he used multiple times in the interview. And it was a phrase over and over that just agitated me the more and more he said it. 
And what he said is that the voices and the experiences of people of color are just now coming to the fore. He said it over and over again, that their voices are just now coming to the fore. Now, in offering the benefit of the doubt to this person, I can understand that for those of us who are in the dominant culture, that yes, Maybe now we're just recognizing voices of black and brown people in the, in the United States. But we know the truth is that the voices of people of color have been speaking for generations about the pain and the reality of racism. And it's really the dominant culture that we live in that hasn't really cared to listen or has become numb to those voices. And I hope that now... We can't ignore it any longer. Well, I say all of this because I believe in that in the pursuit of justice, that the voices of people of color have become vignettes in the white narrative of our history. That we have made them marginal or just a small picture in this big, bigger canvas of the white experience in the United States. And this ignores an important narrative important voices. Something similar has happened in our interpretation and our understanding of women in the Bible. Now, for many of us who grew up in church, we probably grew up learning about the many male heroes of the Bible in just a few vignettes of women. And it might surprise us that there are 200 named women in the Bible. 200, and there are 600 unnamed women in the Bible. Can you even begin to name those 200 named women? I know that I can't. Now, of course, the society and the context of the Bible when it was written, it did see view women as less and um, less desirable or less equal than men. But let's remember that that was not God's intention. That was not God's intention because God created both men and women equal in God's image. We both bear God's image. And when we fail to understand how God used women as active members in God's kingdom, then we start to assume that God only uses men. But God used men and women in in very important ways in the Bible. And God still uses men and women in important ways to further the kingdom here on earth now. So I want to encourage us as we read the Bible this morning and in our text this morning, that we have eyes that would see how God uses all of us, all of us in important ways to bring about the kingdom here on earth. And that we would listen to God's word this morning with ears that hear the testimony, that hear the witness of the rich and the poor, the male and the female, citizen and foreigner, old and young, that we all proclaim, we all have the ability, God has given us the spirit to proclaim God's goodness. Amen? Amen so that we can get a fuller picture of God's kingdom, a fuller picture of God's work in the world through us. 
So today we're going to look at a familiar woman. We're going to look at a familiar woman to all of us, and hopefully we will see her story with a renewed perspective this morning. Now this woman is Mary. Now Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now growing up, I was raised in the Catholic tradition, uh, and I was taught a lot about Mary. I mean, we spent a lot of time learning about Mary because she's a central figure in the Catholic faith. And I grew up learning about one version of Mary, though. One version that I, I, I kind of might assume that you might have grown up with as well, or heard of as well. But I've been challenged in the last years to view her words and her character, her witness, in a different way, to think about Mary in a different way now. And I learned that different view of Mary from a scholar, and, uh, a New Testament scholar and professor, um, Dr. Scott McKnight. Now, Dr. Scott McKnight um, was both a former professor of uh, Pastor Dennis, our former senior pastor, as well as a former uh, professor of my own. We actually got to share a professor, which I think is kind of amazing because, you know, there's just a slight age gap between us. Um, but but um, Scott McKnight uh, wrote an amazing book called The Real Mary, and in his book, The Real Mary, he wrote that um, while I was a student at North Park University in Chicago. And so I had a chance to take his class on Mary, and it was right before that book was published. And his class changed my view on Mary and the story uh, um, as we approach Christmas um, forever. And he shares uh, this summary of this picture of Mary in this article called The Mary We Never Knew. And he says this, There are two Marys. One wears a Carolina blue robe, exudes piety from a somber face, often holds her baby son in her arms and barely makes eye contact. I'll also add that she has no baby weight. She doesn't have swollen ankles. She doesn't have dark circles around her eyes from being sleep-deprived. Right? Right. This is the familiar Blessed Virgin Mary, and she leads us to a Christmas celebration of quiet reflection. Another Mary, the Blessed Valorous Mary, wears ordinary clothing and exudes hope from a confident face. This Mary utters poetry fit for a political rally, goes toe-to-toe -toe with Herod the Great, musters the motherliness to reprimand her Messiah son for dallying in the temple, follows her faith to ask him to address a flagging wine supply at a wedding, and then finds the feistiness to take her children to Capernaum to rescue Jesus from death threats. This Mary followed Jesus all the way to the cross, not just as a mother, but as a disciple, even after her, his closest followers deserted him, she leads us to a Christmas marked by a yearning for justice and the courage to fight for it. Is this a new picture of Mary for you? It's a new picture of Mary for me. 
It changes her words as we read today the Magnificat, Mary's song, Mary's prophetic words in Luke 1. The valorous, brave Mary is the one that we read about today. We honor her faith. We try to exemplify her example. And it's this courageous Mary who accepts God's call to be the mother of Jesus. And as a result, it is God who changes the world forever through Jesus. So church, let's open our Bibles this morning. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. And starting in verse 26, I'm going to just skim a little bit, share, just catch up a little bit of where we are in the story. And we see in verse 26 that the angel Gabriel has been sent to a virgin named Mary. And here the angel greeted her, saying, uh, calling her highly favored and proclaiming that the Lord is with her. And Mary, of course, feels afraid. And the angel assured her not to be afraid, but then shares the most surprising news, that she would conceive, that she would give birth, and she would give birth to a son and call him Jesus, and that he would be the son of the Most High, and that his kingdom would never end. Then Mary asks a very practical question, one that no doubt we would ask ourselves, how would this happen? How will this come to be since I'm still a virgin? And the angel says that the Holy Spirit will come on her, that the power of the Most High will overshadow her. Then Mary consents to this miracle, and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your words be fulfilled. After that, Mary visits uh, Elizabeth, who is also pregnant, and the, the women rejoice. They celebrate, and in their celebration, Mary breaks out into a song, this prophetic song that we heard this morning about the coming Messiah, Jesus. And starting at verse 46, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Well, in our current sermon series right now, it's called Bearing the Weight. And it's a play on words to remind us that in the season of Advent, the time that we wait for Jesus' birth, that this time before Christmas is a season of waiting. It's a season of longing. It's a season of anticipating a Savior. It's a season of yearning for God's full and complete restoration of creation because we live in a broken and a messy world. 
Now, Mary's song is really actually a prophecy. It's really a declaration of Jesus, of what Jesus would do, of what Jesus would be. And her song also describes the heaviness, the heaviness that we feel in this season, the weight that the people were feeling under a harsh ruler. And the rulers then were harsh. Leaders like Herod the Great. And Herod was brutal. Now, Herod was known for assassinating members of his family. He was known for taxing unfairly the people of Israel, even the poorest. He was known for being much more interested in constructing a city of buildings around him instead of thinking about the welfare of the people who occupied that city. Now, in one historical look at Herod, he was described as an evil genius, prepared to commit any crime in order to gratify his unbounded ambition. Dang. That's, that's, that's heavy. That's, that's the heaviness that the Jews were under. That was the weight of oppression that they were living under during this time. So last week, Pastor Edren preached and he shared and began this sermon series in a sermon called, What Were They Waiting For? What were they waiting for? And in that, he made an incredible statement. And he said that we cannot fully understand and appreciate the joy of Christmas until we understand the weight and the despair that the people were experiencing before Jesus was born. So I want to pick up where Pastor Edron left off. I want to pick up where he left off last week and invite us to consider a few ways that God worked through Mary's acceptance. God's, uh, Mary's acceptance and God's work through her, especially through Jesus. So our theme this morning is acceptance. That's the focus for today. But it's not just Mary's acceptance but it's what God does through Jesus because of her acceptance. So I want to suggest this morning that in Mary's acceptance of God's call to be the mother of Jesus, our Savior, that God first heals generational sins through Jesus. Second, that God redefines power through Jesus. And finally, that God ushers in the miraculous through Jesus. Now, in his sermon last week, Pastor Edron shared about the nation of Israel and the condition of their sin during that time. They were people who were far from God. They had forgotten the words and the faithfulness of God. And as a result, generation after generation were weighted down by their sin sin of the Israelites, sin of those who are around them. So looking again at Mary's song in verses 47 through 50, it says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely now on uh, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's words are a proclamation, a word that Israel desperately needs to hear right now, that, that God is great, holy is his name, that from now on generations, yes, we'll call Mary blessed, but even more so would worship the mighty one that they would worship the mighty one. And in verses 47 through 50, Mary challenges the people to remember, to go back to remember the goodness again of God, to remember again and turn back in faithfulness to God, to remember again the mighty one. And in verses 54 and 55, she continues to declare how these generational sins would be broken, how the, how the heaviness would be lifted when Israel would remember God's mercy. Remember that generations ago that God made a covenant promise. And that promise hasn't ended, but that, that it would now be their faith put into action through God's Son who is to come. Then, then that generational burden, those sins would be lifted. But the only hope of those sins being lifted is our acceptance of Jesus. Mary's acceptance of God's call, in that God heals generational sin through Jesus. Does anyone need to hear that again? The truth that through God, generational sins are, are healed. That's good news. That in Jesus, that there are new mercies from generation to generation. That Jesus provides a new promise for generations to come. I'm curious if anyone feels the weight of generational sins, of generational pain, if anyone's doing that hard work to break the power of the past, to then look at a new promise that's ahead. Now, many years ago, our church went through a sermon series uh, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in that study, we looked and we did really the hard work as a church body to, to become more emotionally healthy, to do the hard work to revitalize ourselves holistically, and as a result, God worked in huge and mighty ways in that series. And in our study, we talked about how um, all of us carry around the negative and emotional baggage from our families. Things that can weigh us down, like, like shame, uh, negativity, manipulation, mistrust. We all have that. However healthy a family is, we will naturally carry some baggage into our adult life from messages that we received as children. Heavy baggage that I carry with me uh, from messages of my family, whether they were subtle or not so subtle, are things like money is the best source of security. And the more that you have, the better you are. Anyone resonate with that? Or... Avoid conflict at all costs. Never let anyone get mad at you. In fact, change yourself. Change everything about yourself so no one will get mad at you. Anyone? Yeah? 
or don't show any emotion whatsoever unless it's seen as acceptable or strong, right? Nothing good comes from sharing your emotions. In fact, it just upsets you and upsets people more. So don't share any emotions. Anyone internalize that? Another generational sin that I've internalized in my family is only focus on the success of yourself. Others can figure it out themselves, and if they can't figure it out, then there's something wrong with them, not anything wrong with you. Those are heavy. All of us carry around some of the weight of generational lies. So are you burdened by generational sins? Now, I love my family deeply, and we're a very close family, but we still have work to do. We all do. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, a weight is lifted from us. That's the good news, the goodness of our Lord, the graciousness of God. And just as Mary accepted this truth and, and experienced great joy in proclaiming that Jesus is the bearer of our sins, our, our personal individual sins, we also accept Jesus, who has the power to heal sins of generations, sins of generations gone by. And that is good news, that we don't have to bear that weight, that we don't have to bear the weight of generations past, and instead, that God gives us hope for the future to come. God gives us truth. God heals generational sins through Jesus. Now in Mary's song, a, one of the most prominent themes in her song is the reversal of power in verses 51 through 53. Now in that, it says that he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. In Mary's acceptance of God's call in her life, we see that our second point is that God redefines power through Jesus. Now, I've already shared at length uh, who the person and the leader that Herod was. Um, he was obviously a leader who, by the world's definition, he was powerful. He was absolutely powerful. With just his words, crowds of people would follow him. With just his words, he would construct a mass building um, around him in the city. With just his words, he had the ability to do whatever he wanted. He was powerful. We could declare that, yes, he was powerful in that way. But as we see in Mary's song, we see something very different. We see in her song that there is a redefinition of what power is. Power is no longer controlling people what you want them to do. It's no longer inflicting violence on people to hopefully somehow achieve peace. It's not even a luxury that only a few would experience. Instead, God now through Jesus redefines power. Power now through Jesus is defined literally as taking burdens away, as taking the burdens off those who are suffering, out of those who are oppressed. In God's kingdom, power now 
It's compassion. It's servanthood. It's meeting the needs of the marginalized. That's power. Power through Christ is something that's peculiar. It's something that brings dignity to all people. Can you think about how power brings dignity to all people? It's feeding people with food when they're hungry. But it's also asking, why are they hungry in the first place? Power is redefined in God's kingdom. Power is redistributed in God's kingdom. And power is now a comfort to the people through the Holy Spirit instead of an oppressive force. Now, church, I'm really challenged by this imagery. Can we sit and think about how power is a comfort? Can we even grasp how power could be comforting? Or have we, or has the word and the usage of power been so manipulated? Has it been used in such harsh and harmful ways that we can't even imagine how power could be comforting? How it could be a force of compassion in our world? How it can bear the burden of another person? How it can alleviate the weight that others are feeling pressed under? Can you even imagine how power is a comfort? I'm really challenged by this. Challenged to think in this new way of redefining what power is in God's kingdom. A comfort, a relief. God redefines power through Jesus. And Jesus is our example of power. And when we understand God's redefinition of power through Jesus then the miraculous can happen, church. The miraculous can happen. So our final point this morning is that in Mary's acceptance to God's call, God ushers in the miraculous in Jesus. I hope we get excited about this this morning, church, that Jesus ushers in the impossible, the miraculous. Now, when I was a senior in high school, um, our school was piloting a program to bring in college courses to um, high schools. Um, Now it's very common, um, but it was just beginning in our school, and I decided to take a human anatomy course. Now, at the time, I was confident that I would go into some sort of medical career and continue to just ignore my calling of ministry, because that felt a lot easier and more comfortable. So as I was sitting in my human anatomy class, my um, biology teacher was lecturing, and he was uh, well-known in our school for being an atheist. And as he was um, lecturing on human reproduction, he was sharing about the birds and the bees. And as he was sharing, he concluded his lecture by saying, and anyone who can be so foolish to believe that a virgin could give birth is unimaginable to me. Now, as as a student sitting in this class, I sat and I thought, you know, I could be really offended right now. But as I sat with his words, I realized, you're right. 
It is completely foolish. It is completely unimaginable. And yet it is completely true. It is completely true that a virgin would conceive and give birth to the Savior of the world. In Jesus, God ushers in the miraculous. That is good. Now, church, this young virgin girl would conceive, would give birth to a son. This is a foundational belief of our Christian faith. It's also one that we often skim over so easily, so quickly. But can we grasp the weight, the the miraculousness that, that a virgin gave birth to the Savior of the world? Not just to a a child, but to the Savior of the world. We can't miss this miracle. We can't miss what is unimaginable has happened. That what is unthinkable has now happened. That Jesus ushers in the miraculous. That the miraculous one, Jesus Christ, that now the weight is over. The burden is lifted through Jesus Christ, that Jesus is born, now the miraculous is possible. Now the miraculous is possible. So church, as we consider our theme of bearing the weight, of bearing the weight that what are you most desperately waiting for? As you sit and ponder, what are you most desperately waiting for? What are you most desperately waiting for that causes just a burden and that the only thing that will bring alleviation is a miracle? The only thing that would bring alleviation is a miracle. Are you carrying something that's so unimaginable that you need a miracle to see even hope from it? Maybe it's a class that you're taking and it just seems impossible to pass. Maybe it's a child who's making decisions that that just break your heart and the outcome seems completely impossible. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis that's unknown and you desperately need to feel that God's presence is tangible, that it's miraculous, that it's real. Or maybe it's a job situation Maybe it's a job situation that seems so overwhelming or even a job search that seems endless. Or maybe, church, as a community, our collective fight for justice seems never-ending and God's restoration seems so, so far away. It's in this season of Advent where we expect that the unexpected will happen. It's that, a time that we can imagine that the unimaginable is possible. It's a time that we have hope and believe in the foolishness that a virgin would give birth to the Savior of the world. This is the weight of Jesus' birth, that it lifts. This is the waiting that Jesus fulfills. And this is now the truth that the miraculous is possible. And that's good news for us, church, today. We need miracles in our world today. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to invite the worship team 
to come forward as we uh, begin to conclude this morning. What seemed impossible to the world seemed possible to Mary. That's the beauty of her witness. She not only accepted God's call to the impossible, she actually lived her entire life believing that it was true. She isn't the passive, the meek and mild girl that we so are often led to believe. She didn't wait passively. She waited with expectation. And when Jesus came, she was ready. She was ready as his disciple to follow him wherever he went. She was ready to bear witness to the miraculous works of God, the miraculous works of God that were possible through Jesus. Now, our world is not restored as it should be. Our world is broken. And we still feel the weight daily of sin, of brokenness. And we are waiting desperately for a full restoration. But as we wait, let's wait in a way like Mary did. Let's wait and let our yearning for justice cause us to act, not just to sit and be passive, to act and be a witness in the world. Because when the Bible says that Mary pondered things in her heart, we think she sat in a corner quietly forever. Yes, it means that she pondered, she thought about those things. But the word ponder implies something different. Ponder means an embodiment of her beliefs. It means she, yes, sat with those things, thought with those things, but she also went out and lived those things. She showed the world that it was true. Now, church, do we act in a way that suggests that we believe that the miraculous can still happen? Do we act in a way, do we have faith that believes the miraculous can still happen? Do we live differently because of that? As we approach Christmas and as we yearn for justice, as we bear the heaviness of waiting for full restoration, church, let's have courage like Mary. Let's have courage to fight for a more just world. Let's believe that once again that the miraculous is actually possible. So with that, church, let's stand. And let's believe that the miraculous can still happen. That if we have burdens that we're carrying, that only a miracle will lift. That we would have the faith to believe that miracles are possible. Now, our prayer team will be up front. If you are in a season of, of waiting, of expecting, of looking for a miracle, come and pray with the prayer team. They would be more than willing to pray. And let's sing and worship a God who is good, who does miraculous and good and great things. Amen. We sing our chorus one more time. He has done great things for me.